0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 108 of the Psychology World podcast with me Con Wiley and today's episode is on how to stop rumination. So this is an absolutely brilliant podcast episode that I really enjoy like, writing about and like, discovering because rumination, as I'll talk about in the content part of today's episode, is a massive like, negative uh, problem uh, when it comes to mental health and it's something that we uh, need to stop. So this is a great podcast episode for clinical psychologists and university psychology students, because this should help you recognize what tips then you might want to recommend to your clients, though. Because the thing, yes, I the reason why I wrote this is that if our client is ruminating in the therapy room, that's all well and good because we're there to like stop it. But the problem or the negative outcome is what happens when they start ruminating outside of the therapy room. So hopefully that this will be a really useful episode. And it is Friday the 27th of August 2021 as I record this. And even as I say that, I think it's really scary that we're about to enter the last third of the year. Yeah, that's really scary. <laughs> so we're moving on to Psychology News section. So moving from the British Psychological Society Research Digest. And there are lots of good articles here, but we're only going to do three. Conspiracy theories are more entertaining than the truth. And this helps explain why people believe them. Conspiracy theories stroke anxiety and uncertainty, and can even threaten the health of those who expose them. Take COVID-19 anti vaxxers for example, who would put themselves at a risk by refusing a vaccine. So, given those negative consequences, it's surprising that conspiracy theories are so prolific. Research shows that beliefs that other groups are colluding secretly, Pursue malevolent goals. The definition of a conspiracy theory, and more common during times of a crisis like a global pandemic, heightened anxiety is thought to lead people to erroneously believe that there are hostile forces at at play. But now, a paper in the British Journal of Psychology, there was another reason why conspiracy theories can um, be appealing. The team finds that conspiracy theories provoke a stronger emotional response than are relatively dull, but true reality, and this encourages people to believe in them, especially for people who have a personality trait of being sensation-seeking. So this, I think, is like, wow, and, and you, I can really like, understand that. But for like, example, if you take the COVID-19 anti and please everyone, Please just get your vaccine. I want you all right to be safe. So if we take the COVID-19 anti-vaxxers, it's so boring if you just say that this vaccine is going to save your life. That's really true, but it's so boring. But then the more creative and then the more entertaining idea, though, where is that? They Yes, is that the government is injecting you with microchips, which is probably one of my favourite um, conspiracy theories because it's just like, really? Is your life that interesting that they're going to... Um, yeah, but like that, the government is going to want to like monitor you. For example, because I've been there by myself for like this a week, but like the most exciting thing that I've done this week in terms of like going out and what someone might want to like monitor is like walking down the high street and just like doing some banking. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, well, like if someone was like monitoring me through these like microchips, then well, they're going to be very bored. So it's just so silly. But I do understand it, and yeah, and it's just really interesting to like learn more about this. So what uh, the next one is ability to name unrelated words is a good test of a creativity. Obtaining a solid measure of a creativity can be hugely time-consuming. Well established tests such as the alternative use task, which asks participants to generate unusual ways to see common objects, require substantial time and effort in order to properly score participants' responses. Not only that, but assessment of the creativity of responses varies wildly as a result of both the scorer's judgment and the quality of answers related to the rest of the data. For example, one especially creative response amongst ASC of generic responses may gain extra points. uh, Place that same answer amongst other highly creative responses, however, and is likely to score lower. But, take heart, overstretched researchers. A new paper suggests uh, that there may be easier, more reliable ways to test creativity. The divergent association task may be at least as effective uh, at measuring verbal creativity as others' uh, more widely known creative measures. With the added bonuses of uh, being shorter, more enjoyable to participants, and uh, be able to be scored by a, by a computer algorithm. Wow. Okay, no, that's a good one because, well, most of the people who have like uh, listened to this podcast either been to university, and uh, I think we've all been there in these um, methodology lectures, and we're thinking. God, that seems so boring. That or like when we're reading a, a textbook cover, then you have to get into the uh, nitty gritty and you can just see that some research methods are so dull and so long winded. So if there's a, a score that's actually quite easy to do, but enjoyable, then that's also going to be really good. Uh, but then if we also think about this from our Papistan's point of view, so, uh, well, I'm not sure how it works in our other countries, but generally in you know, the um, UK, when it comes to our university degrees, uh, well of course at least in our psychology all right we have to take part in our studies and I am ashamed to admit but if there's a really boring tasks I will just do it quickly to get out of there because I'm so bored and I just do not want to be in this experiment so of course the data won't be as good as someone who actually enjoys it so if we find more enjoyable tasks then that's amazing and that's what we've got to strive for in that Strife or in their psychology. Of course, it's nowhere near that easy, but uh, but it's just uh, nice to think about. And we will do one more. Women and early career academics experience imposter syndrome in fields that emphasize natural brilliance. Imposter syndrome, the feeling that you don't belong or aren't capable at work or in education, can affect anyone, but people from underrepresented backgrounds are more likely to experience imposter syndrome. First generation university students, for example, or people of colour. Imposterous syndrome can be particularly acute in academia, where intellectual flair is a price. In fact, a new study finds that... In a field uh, in a which intellectual brilliance is perceived uh, to be a prerequisite for success, uh, imposter syndrome is likely to restrict women and early career academics. And this is actually quite interesting because I am not like, like officially announced the project that I've been doing for like, a few weeks, but I did a blog post for a university blog that I'm helping out with online uh, imposter syndrome and I'll release it to this podcast um, next year because I'm going to do a like, mini-series though, but in you know, a syndrome, it's really bad. And uh, to be honest, the best tip that I can give you if you're feeling like in a syndrome, then you've just got to recognize that you are an amazing person and that no one is perfect. I'm not perfect. No one is perfect. So you've just got to stop these really high expectations because you are an amazing person and that you will have your wonderful strengths and weaknesses. For example, in the blog post, and this is the last thing that I'll say on it. To well, I said, what's up with that? Well, I'm going to know more than you in certain areas. You're going to know a lot more than me in other areas. So it's just like that. So I really hope that you enjoyed this psychology news section. So Let's move on to the personal update. So i moving on to the personal update. So as I sort of like preluded to in the psychology news section, I've like, plus my parents have been like, a way up, like I've been mainly like by myself and I've also like gone out and I've done tons of different like this and pieces. pieces. Um, in terms of psychology, there's, to be honest, there, there's only one exciting thing that I can announce, which I'm really, really pleased with because for the rest of it, I've been doing like lots of like fiction and I've been doing tons of like other like little projects. But I am extremely happy to announce by the time you listen to this on Monday, there will be five boxes on pre-order, and the reason why I'm so excited about boxes is because these are great collections of like my books that are available in our ebook and paperback form. I might do hardback, but I'm not sure. But the really exciting thing about it though is that I've been formatting the boxes before I like send yeah before I like send them an off, and the exciting thing about it though is that they are massive, which I'm really pleased with, and I would love to see how big and how heavy my Ultimate Psychology collection is, which contains like six of my books. That's like, if you want to know about the approaches to psychology, there's a Social Psychology box set, a Clinical Psychology box set, which I love, an Applied Psychology box set, which I think is really, really good, and I really do enjoy putting that to together. And then there's an Ultimate Psychology collection, and even if you don't want to buy it, just look at the covers, they're really nice covers. And I'm really, really pleased with what my cover designer did. So amazing. And like, in case I've like piqued your like interest by the time you listen to this, or the week after, because I don't know how long it takes, all of these different. Well, like, I put up the e-books, and well, all of these boxes are available, unlike all major book retailers, and well, retailers, and then at Euro, we can get the uh, print books in all of the usual places. Though. So I'm really pleased with that, and these boxes will be great. So they're coming out in January next year. And as always, I always like love to know your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, conwhitelyconwhitely dot net. You can always leave a comment on the show notes. ConorWhiley.net forward slash podcast, and you can always tweet me on Twitter at sci I always love to hear from all of you. And today's episode has been sponsored by Cognitive Psychology, a guide to neuroscience, neuropsychology, and cognitive psychology, a third edition. So, this I really am looking forward to because it's currently on a pre order and is coming out on the 28th of September 2021. So this is a brilliant book, and if you love like um cognitive psychology, which is about our like, mental processes, then you will love this because it will really give you a deep understanding of cognitive psychology and also like how memory works, how we think, and like thinking biases. But then it also, but it also goes into a lot more depth too. For example, like how like vision works, how attention works. And so there are so many great mental processes that I really am looking forward to you like reading though. So, if you want a great, easy to understand guide that will really help you understand cognitive psychology, then I really do recommend it. So, that is a cognitive psychology a guide to neuro neuroscience, neuropsychology, and cognitive psychology third edition, available in all major book retailers, and you can order the print book from Amazon at your local books to or local library if you request it. And if you want to support this particular episode, so if you really enjoyed a particular episode of the Psychology World Podcast, then there's now a great new option where you can like, give me money directly. some if you want to do that, but then you can simply go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Conor White And then you can like, buy me a, a coffee there So like, if you want to like, support the podcast directly. And this sponsorship pays out for my time and the editing and the hosting of the podcast because it does take quite a bit of time. And this sponsorship helps cover the cost of producing the podcast. So let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about how to stop rumination. And what rumination is, is that it's when the exact same thought keeps going round and round in your mind. And in a clinical psychology, we sort of know that this can be very negative because it can affect people's mental health. And as a psychology professional, if you are, and also if you're a university psychology student, then this might be helpful to know for the future. And to be honest, I think this is useful for everyone to know. But then this can be helpful because uh, to give our clients tips about how to stop ruminating when it happens. So that's the aim of today's episode. Why is ruminating negative? So before we dive into how to stop it, uh, what I wanted to mention uh, first of all was that rumination is really, well, is actually a really negative event for you to do with that word, because it's not a problem and it's not your fault that you're ruminating or your client, but it's just that if you keep ruminating, it will get you down and it will interfere with your problem-solving abilities, and this alone is really is really a bad though because in psychotherapy we need our clients to have their problem-solving abilities so that we can work with them on improving their lives and alleviate their psychological distress because as we know, especially if you phrase read my formulation in psychotherapy, but clinical psychology and psychotherapy is about a working relationship between the client and the therapist. How to stop ruminating. So one of the possible ways how you can stop ruminating is that you will need to think about ruminating as a cycle, where the client has a thought, be it a memory of an angry conversation, or a negative event, or something else in entirely, and the thought doesn't stop meaning, it goes round and round and round in their mind, without it ever stopping leading to extending rumination, which harms their mental health. So the way how you can stop this, or one of the ways, there are quite a few but you can use cognitive absorbing tasks, which I don't think is a, like, a official term, but it does pop up in the literature quite a bit. So what these tasks are, is that they're tasks that are new to the client, so they have to focus on them and become cognitively absorbed into them, leading to a break in the cycle, which the client is so focused on the new task that there isn't room in their mind to continue ruminating, and that's the uh, general idea. So I really do like this idea because it is a little strange and a quirky and I always love a like strange or quirky idea but and what makes this even better is that we can use it to help people as well as another reason why I do quite like it is is that it's easy to do because it's very easy to do outside the therapy room and the problem or well or not the problem, but the downside of most of psychology and most of the um, professionals is that everything that is helpful, you sort of have to have specialized knowledge or you have to have some sort of specialized equipment. But with this idea of cognitive absorbing tasks, you actually don't need anything specialized or any specialized knowledge, meaning that this is perfect for our clients who might not know these are particular things that we do. Idea though, and then like some of these examples. Of these is like any of the following, but basically, a cognitive absorbing task is anything that is new to the client and would require them to focus on it. For example, drawing pictures from a book, making a model, following a tutorial on origami, because that is very difficult. I know that from personal experience, building Lego and my personal favorite, which I don't recommend unless you have like lots of time, is write a book (laughs) because that really does require you to focus on it, but it's amazing fun any way though. So to conclude, as a final point I just wanted to mention that whether or not you find the idea of one of these activities fun or not isn't the point. And I know that sounds harsh but The entire point of these activities is to break the cycle of uh, rumination. And then after you've broken the cycle, you uh, might want to do something more fun, maybe even a productive. Because if you uh, or your client don't break the cycle, then nothing might feel uh, achievable. So then you might never do something fun and even productive. Again, the meaning of that you will never or you won't for a little while alleviate the psychological distress and improve the client's life. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and I hope that you learned something. I definitely feel like I learned something because I feel like if I'm ever ruminating then I know that I can just like use this technique in the future. And if you know someone who would find today's episode useful then please share it up with them. I'm, I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people to help spread the word about the podcast. And also please check out Cognitive Psychology, a guide to neuroscience, neuropsychology and a cognitive psychology third edition available in all of the usual places. I really do recommend that book, especially if you want to learn more about mental processes and thinking. And if you want us to support the podcast directly, then you can buy me a, a coffee at buymeacoffee.com voice slash Connor So have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to ConnorWhiteley.net. And if you want a free ADA book psychology box set, then please go to conorwhitely.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.